It's a happy Mother's Day. Uh, this morning, we are going to be looking at Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And for some of you, this will be a familiar passage of Scripture. The heading in the ESV Bible says, The Woman Who Fears the Lord. And many people have studied this passage, looked at this passage, because it says a lot about womanhood and living a godly life. But I have a question. When you come to this passage of Scripture, how do you read it? So, for instance, for the women and the wives and mothers and daughters here, is this passage of Scripture encouraging for you? Or sometimes is it a bit discouraging to you? Do you read this with a sense of joy and happiness? Or is there maybe a little low-grade sense of guilt that goes along with this passage? And for the men and husbands and sons, what does, what does this section of Scripture teach us? And what are we to learn? And so this morning what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to dig around a little bit in the context of the book of Proverbs uh, so that we can all benefit from what God's word has for us through these verses here this morning. So Shilla Kamau is going to come and read the passage for us here this morning. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. The woman who fears the Lord, an excellent wife who can find... She is far more precious than jewels. Her heart, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will, make, he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks flax and wool and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are, are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with, with, with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Thanks, Shola. Let's pray. Father, we know that every word that comes to us from Scripture is a word that's breathed out from you and is profitable for us. Through your word, you correct us and you train us and you show us things. And most importantly, you show us who you are. And so we pray today that as we look at this well-known proverb, this well-known saying, Father, we pray that you give us fresh eyes to see and 
open ears to hear the things that your spirit wants to teach us here today. For we know that if we listen attentively and we apply your word, we will be changed in the way that you want us to be changed. And that's our desire here this morning. And so we pray that you would bless this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, let me give you a little bit of background about the book of Proverbs. So this is chapter 31. It's the very end of a book. And the book of Proverbs is really how God's people live in relationship with the world. And let me compare and contrast that. Like with the Psalms, the Psalms are primarily about our relationship with God, right? But in the Proverbs, it's about, okay, but you've got the God thing, but now how do you live this out in the world around us? And so the basis of thinking this way is that God created the world, and the Proverbs then give us insights in how to live God's ways. Another way of saying this is that living rightly before God in the world he created is called wisdom. And so this is called wisdom literature. And the Proverbs essentially teaches that there are two ways to live in God's world. If you look through the book of Proverbs, you'll find that in chapters 1 through 9, there are all these father-to-a-son instructions, one after another after another. And what they do is basically describe in sort of a general way um, what it looks like to follow uh, Lady Folly and what it looks like to follow Lady Wisdom. So there's folly and there's wisdom. There's two paths that you can follow in life, and this is what the father teaches to his son. And then in chapters 10 through 31, you find the more traditional truisms, the the proverbs that you memorize real quickly about how we talk to one another or what we do with anger or different things, the little truisms that then fill in the gaps for us about how we're supposed to live our lives under the authority of God's word in a way that is pleasing to him. And this affects our moral life, our relational life, our physical well-being. And so these are the details for living God's way. But the most important thing that you find in the book of Proverbs is that the foundational concept for wisdom itself is rooted in a concept called the fear of the Lord. And it really bookends the whole book and also chapters 1 through 9. In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then towards the end of chapter 9, so the first Uh, section of the book, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So that's one bookend. And then here we find at the very end of the book, in chapter 31 and verse 30, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And the fear of the Lord, that is what is praiseworthy. That's what you find as the anchor and the foundation in the book of Proverbs. Everything else flows out of it. All the ethical teaching, all the moral teaching, all the right living, all the quote-unquote wisdom that we find in this book is all rooted in this one concept, the fear of the Lord. And so I want to go through this passage and look at a few things that I think are really important for us to get here this morning. And the first is that we understand that the wise person fears the Lord and lives God's way. And so what we find in the passage here first is a portrait of what I'll call this morning Lady Wisdom. That's verses 10 through 31, this whole section here. It's a personification. When you read through these verses, it's also called a a woman of noble character. And in this case, the author chose to use an excellent wife and mother as the epitome or as the example. 
But from a literary perspective, and I found this fascinating studying this and, and learning and trying to get what God had for me in this passage, and that is that this is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, if you don't know what an acrostic is, have you ever had somebody give you sort of an ABC of you, and they say, A is for always being nice, B is for being, you know, my best friend, C is for, you know, and you fill in the blank. Well, that's what this is. There are 22 verses in uh, this section of Scripture that we've just been reading, and they represent the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so that's intentional. These authors didn't just make that up. They decided, hey, we want to we paint a picture here. We want to provide a portrait here. And it's intentionally comprehensive in its scope. And it's really important to remember this is not identifying a real person. This is like a best of of all the godly and wise women in this room. And then if we put that to A to Z in our context, that's what you would have here. And I think sometimes that's where this becomes a big stumbling block for people because people see in this passage this perfect, idealistic example of a godly, wise woman. They go, well, I'm not that, and I'm not that, and I'm not that. And all of a sudden, the guilt and the discouragement start to weigh them down. Or, or sometimes, you know, guys can be arrogant and rude and start to say, well, you're not like that, and you're not like that. So this passage, if not understood rightly, can actually cause a lot of harm. And what I hope today through our time together is that we can really understand how God wants these verses to be used in a very encouraging and an inspiring way. He wants us all to grow in our understanding of who he is through his word. And so a tool like this, yes, it was meant to be memorized. That's why it was done in their sort of A to Z context. But again, this is a, a portrait. It's a composite picture. And it's going to require each of us to understand how to apply it in the context of our own lives. For instance, this woman is one of those early-to-rise people, okay? So about half of us are early-to-rise, but she also stays up all night, and so she's a night owl. Okay, well, how many of you are an early-to-rise and an all-night person, and don't raise your hand if you have insomnia, all right? <laughs> but seriously, and I really want to make this point, it's not realistic, in terms of thinking that I can be every single thing. You've got to get the flavor of what this is trying to say. It's like a lifetime best of series, okay? And so all the women here, if you're young and you're, or you're older, if you're married and you're single, your children and you're, you have children or without children, there is benefit for the women as they read this beautiful picture of a godly woman. It's someone to be praised because it has the attributes that God wants to form in the life of a woman, in the life of all of us. And so the intent of this is actually to be aspirational. This is something that we look towards and we try to move towards, but not in a sense that I'm going to have every single one of these qualities equally. God's not going to give you that kind of a life. He's not going to give you every opportunity. For instance, this woman is a wife and a mother. She clearly takes uh, care of the servants and the staff in her home. And she also works in the marketplace. And she's, she's a real estate agent. And she does all kinds of stuff. Well, that might not be what God has for you. Your life is going to look unique and different because God has a unique and wonderful plan for each of your lives. So the idea is we just take these principles and then we apply them to the life that God has given to us. And so it's a portrait of godliness, living in a way that pleases the Lord. 
So it covers home life and work life, and it covers relationships with family and employees. And the conduct that we see, she's hardworking, diligent, prepared, organized. She's strong. She's talented. And her character, oh, it's wonderful. She's thoughtful, discerning, others-minded, caring, faithful. She's fearless. I love in verses 25 and 26, it's sort of a summary of how she lived her life. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. What, what faith she had. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And so we come to this not with a sense of how to have guilt in this, but how to be inspired to say, I want to live that way. I want to have those godly characteristics in me and living that way. And so how do we, how do the rest of us apply a verse like this or verses like this? Well, the application is really for all of us, and that is that this room is filled with godly, wise women. Our lives are filled with godly, wise women, and they are to be regularly commended. In verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord is what? She's to be praised. Okay, so God is going to praise the woman who fears him and who lives this way, but also her family. Look at verse 28. It says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. So the family should be looking around for the the godly women in our families and thinking about how to bless them and encourage them. And then finally, this wonderful character and this wonderful quality of wisdom that shines through the woman who fears the Lord. Well, it's awesome because it says in verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. In other words, it's not just that God will bless her and be encouraged and praise her, It's not just that our families encourage those godly women in our lives, but our entire community should be looking out to praise and encourage the godly wise wisdom that he has placed in our lives. And so I think there's an application for us, uh, for all of us, and that is to look around and to see who are the wise women that God has placed in our lives, and then let us grow in our encouragement of them. You know, I love Mother's Day, but that's one of 365 days a year, what about the other 364? When you think about the wise and godly women that that God has placed in your life, they don't stop. They're going day after day after day, and they're working, and they're loving, and they're being kind, and they're thinking of others. And they're using their gifts and talents to serve and bless others. Friends, there is so much to encouragement. And really, my hope and my prayer as an application of this message is that we as a community would really grow in our skill and our understanding of how to encourage and bless the godly women that are in our midst because they're all around us. And if we're going to live according to God's word, well, then they should be receiving praise from us. And so that is the portrait of this woman. And we want to thank all these godly women in our lives on a regular basis. But as I said in the book of Proverbs, the second thing that I want to talk about this morning is that we really see that there are two pathways. Uh, There are two pathways to living. It's depicted in chapters 1 through 9. And there are basically what it looks like if you read through the verses. It's basically two types of women. There's one woman over here, and she's calling out to people. And there's another woman over here, and she's calling out to people. And this one is building her house, and this one is building her house but they're doing it 
in two very, very different ways. In uh, Proverbs 31, verse 30, as we've said before, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. So there's one woman building her house. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's the other woman building her house. And in Hebrew uh, poetry, the parallelism is important. You need to understand sometimes the poetry builds on itself, but in this one, it creates a compare and contrast. And what's happening here is this other woman over here, she focuses on all the externals. She focuses on living with pleasure. She wants to entice and allure, and she basically wants to live without boundaries. She wants to live without God in control of her life and superintending the way that she lives. But over here, the woman who fears the Lord, the woman who is wise, well, she builds her house with discretion. She builds her house with care and with prudence and wisdom and understanding. And so there's this picture of these two pathways to live, the pathway of folly and the pathway of wisdom. Now, the sad thing is that we find in Proverbs is that the woman who builds the house this way and who entices people to come and live a life of folly, well, that house eventually gets destroyed and the end is destruction. But the woman who fears the Lord and who invites people to come and fear the Lord with her and to live the way that God has prescribed, well, that house is built on a solid foundation. That house will last. And that house is filled with hope and encouragement. And so there are these two pathways. And I want to take just a brief look at the pathway of wisdom. Now, this pathway is only available for people who will who will also submit themselves to the fear of the Lord. So there's a condition to be on the pathway to wisdom, and that is you have to fear the Lord. And I'll talk about that in my third point. But first, this pathway of wisdom. It says those who fear the Lord and seek to live God's way, we're told in Scripture, is that they will grow and mature. And so I've made this little diagram here, and it's got an upward arrow because the pathway of wisdom goes in one direction and the pathway of folly goes in another direction. But when you look at somebody and you say, you know, they're really wise, what are you actually saying? Are you saying that they're just smart, smarter than other people? No, you're, you're saying something more than that. You're talking about how they process life on the inside. And this is what the fear of the Lord does. It gives us a new perspective and a new way to think about life. And so this person when you come across somebody who's on the pathway to wisdom, it's typically somebody who starts to learn how to have discipline and self-control in their lives. Somebody who's willing to receive correction. This person has discernment. They start to learn how to look for trouble spots ahead. They don't just live in the moment. And as they grow and mature, they grow in their understanding. They're able to see God's big picture in the life that they live. These are people, you see this when people suffer, when they have cancer or in very difficult medical situations. And you see people who are on the pathway to wisdom, it starts to shine in these adverse moments. Why? Because they don't lose heart and they don't lose hope in the midst of momentary trials because they're able to see a bigger picture. They have an understanding that comes from God that says this is not going to be the end. The end is far better from you, but I will be with you in the right now. And so they have hope, and that hope helps them to persevere, and they press on because they fear God, and they know God loves them. And so they have understanding, and they have prudence. They consider all the factors, not just a few things, and this knowledge just oozes out of them. And you know when you're in the presence of somebody who's wise, don't you? 
you just hang out with them a little bit and you just go, I need to hang out with that person more because whenever we talk about stuff, I always come away really encouraged. And that's what wisdom should do. Even if it's a word of correction to you, it should actually still encourage you because somebody who corrects you, who's wise, should also always give you the hope of the gospel. See, they're not just looking to put you down. They're actually looking to build you up. And God disciplines those he loves. And so we want to be around these wise people. And, and one of the points of application for this, and this is just a brief word to the young men and young women who are pursuing relationships with each other, romantic relationships, I would encourage you to read, study, and know what God's word says so that you know what to be like and also so that you know what to look for. So a lot of times when a, a, a guy will come in and he's trying to figure out, you know, hey, I'm thinking about a relationship with this girl, I'll often take him to this passage and I say, what do you see? And they read through it and they have all these, you know, interesting observations of all the skills and all that other stuff. I said, but what's most important? Well, they always get to the verse 30 and they go, well, it's the fear of the Lord. I go, exactly. And I say, is that what's driving your relationship with this woman? Does she fear the Lord? Is that what's central to her life? Is that the engine that makes her life go? If it's not, then you need to slow down a little bit and you need to talk with her about this. And similarly, when a, a, a young lady comes in and we start talking about some of this stuff, I'll, I'll do something very similar. Um, I'll take her to the qualifications for a deacon. I go, you, you, you want your husband to be able to serve in the church, right? And she goes, well, yeah. And I said, well, just look at that passage. And then use it as a tool to help you know what you should look for so that you look for somebody who is on the path of wisdom and not folly. You know, when we're young, we're all sort of the same way. Our priorities get a little bit mixed up. We have a tendency to focus on things like beauty and charm and fun, happiness. We focus on pleasure but we don't often put enough uh, emphasis on character, do we? And yet when we mature, we realize that character really does count. And it's the most important part of who somebody is. And ultimately, at the core of who they are, is you want to make sure that they fear the Lord. For this is the person who's going to live a blessed life and who's going to be praised by God. I saw this tragically work out in the, the relationship that a friend of mine had. He was in his late 20s and... He found a girl that he fell madly in love with, and they had a fairly short time of getting to know each other. Um, and long or short, that doesn't always matter, you know, in terms of whether or not it's the right person. Uh, that's not my point. My point is, he fell in love, and they got married. And a few months after he got married, he got diagnosed with MS. And his wife, who was not a Christian, she came up to him one day and said, hey, I didn't really sign up for taking care of somebody who was going to be sick, and so I'm going to be filing for a divorce. And she divorced him. They, they were divorced within a year, of their, uh, a year of marriage. Now, how does that happen? Well, she was on the wrong path. She was on the path of folly. She wasn't a wise woman who feared the Lord, who saw this as an opportunity to serve and love her husband and keep her vows. She just said, you're not fun anymore. You're going to be a hassle. And friends, this is not the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. He wants us to build lasting relationships, husband and wife relationships that ultimately reflect the relationship that Christ has with the church. And if that's what's at stake, which it is, and we know that from Ephesians 5, then the process of choosing and selecting who God has for us as a life partner is really, really important. 
And so I just want to leave the young people with that thought here today. Listen to verses 11 and 12 again. It says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And likewise, the husband should be doing the exact same thing for his wife. So that's the pathway of wisdom. But secondly, there's this other pathway. It's the pathway of folly. This is the pathway of people who do not fear the Lord. They're going in the opposite direction. And it's like a descending staircase. They don't benefit from loving discipline or correction. Um, They don't really like guidance. They don't like being told what to do. They're stubborn at times. And so this pathway of folly in the scriptures, in the Proverbs, are defined by three different types of people, and they get incrementally worse as you go down the list. And it starts with the simple. The simple is somebody who's inexperienced, young, naive, gullible, irresponsible, thoughtless towards others. Okay, so anybody that's been a parent that raises young kids, you know that most kids have some of that going on with them as, as they grow up, right? And so this is a season of life that's actually correctable. It's, it's a time when, okay, they're simple, they're naive, but, but we can help them if they'll have a heart to listen. And so the simple, though, it goes on. It says she wastes her time, and I'll use the pronouns interchangeably here. She wastes her time on chasing things that don't matter. He lacks discernment and prudence. And friends, we can all be this way. We can all be a little naive in the way that we go, right? But this is the beginning of a pathway that leads to destruction if you do not have the fear of the Lord. See, if you have the fear of the Lord and you're a little bit naive, well, then you'll humble yourself and you'll listen to advice and you'll stay on the path of wisdom. But if you do not have the fear of the Lord, you are beginning a pathway that leads down a very destructive path. It ends in death, actually. And so the second person that's personified, and it's got three different words in the Hebrew, and I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but it's the fool. So first you're simple, but then you actually become a fool. And this means that you're thick-headed and you're stubborn. And, and it's really interesting. This, the fool is not stupid. Sometimes the person's actually quite smart. But this person has chosen to live out from underneath God's authority. And so in that sense, they are the fool. She's unrepentant and falls into the same sin repeatedly. He likes to hear himself talk, but what he says has no substance. And you know those people, they talk a lot about everything. They're like, like you have factoids about a lot of stuff, but do you really understand? You really have knowledge and wisdom. Not so much. You see, the, the worst part of the fool is that the fool has closed their mind to God and often refuses to believe that God even exists. And that's a scary place to be. Those people are really hard to reach because what happens when you move from being a simpleton and somebody who's just simple and a little bit naive and you don't have the fear of God in your life is that your heart starts to harden. You start to get very comfortable being autonomous and living life your ways. When you start to think, you know, God's prescription for moral living and being kind to others and how I manage my life and my finances... You know, that's, that's okay for some people, but it's not okay for me. I've got other ideas. And basically what we're saying is, I have better ideas than God. And friends, that's a really dangerous place to be in. Because God is God and we are not. We're under God. But when we become the fool, we start to move ourselves more and more out from underneath his authority. 
And it shows up in the way that we live our lives. We continue to make choices that are self-centered and self-seeking. We start to distance ourselves from God, and we actually become antagonistic toward God. We don't like what he says, and we actually reject and rebuff what he says. And then it actually gets even worse, and that's this third picture, uh, picture, and that's the scoffer. The scoffer is somebody who actually gets to the point where they despise correction. You can't talk to them about anything. They just argue with you about everything. Why? Because their hearts really have become hard. They're not willing to listen to the Spirit of God speaking to them, drawing them back to himself. And instead, they've become happy in their sin, content to live life out from underneath God's way. And they've been so deceived that they actually think that this is their best life now. And yet, tragically, when we shine the light of Scripture onto their life, we realize it's exactly the opposite. They are in grave danger. For if they pass away without fearing the Lord, their end is eternal destruction. The stakes are so high. And this is the path of folly, the simple, the fool, the scoffer. I can talk a lot about this last slide because that was me. Starting at a very young age, I started to become less and less interested in church. My family wasn't overly religious, but I just started to to find something else about life. And that was there was a lot of really fun stuff to do that my parents said I shouldn't. And it promised all kinds of happiness. Hey, if you go smoke dope with all these friends and sleep around, you'll be so happy. And so I thought, well, that's a great idea. So let's smoke dope and sleep around. But at the end of the day, that kind of a lifestyle leads progressively more and more to a life of pain and sorrow and agony because what those lies that I was being told didn't tell me was about what happens the next day when you have these broken relationships. What happens as you go through your life and you realize that you're living your life just to please everybody else and you can't just be who you are. And you start to lose your identity because you're so worried about the fear of man instead of the fear of God that you become a chameleon and you just try to be popular and you just want to be accepted But the more we crave that, idolatrous craving, we drift farther and farther away from the fear of the Lord and the path of wisdom. And so I know this from firsthand experience because it wasn't until I was 25 that God helped me to see my desperate need for salvation. And I think the application for all of us in reading this section of Proverbs or any of the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, when you read these things and when we read these things, we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, what's being shown to me in this? We need to take a look at our own lives and ask ourselves hard questions at this time. Because there's a warning here that if we go on the path of folly, it's not going to end well. And so we have to ask ourselves, which path am I on? Am I on the path of fearing the Lord and gaining wisdom? Or have I rejected the Lord and am I on the path of folly that leads to destruction? And sadly, I think growing up in the church, for some kids, that can be one of the hardest things because you know a lot about the Lord and you know a lot of the jargon about God. But so many times when I sit down and I talk with young people and I say, but your life looks like this that's in opposition to God's word and yet with your mouth you profess that you believe this, where's the disconnect? And usually after several 
rounds of, you know, discussing a few questions and things like that, it comes down to this one issue, and that is the fear of the Lord. And do they know what that means? And do they know what that should look like? And so how do we get onto this path of wisdom? How do we get the fear of the Lord? And that's the third point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what is it? Well, it's the source of wise living. You see, God isn't after our behavior first. He's after our hearts. And so this wise woman in this proverb, she's got all this great stuff that's going on, but what does she actually get praised for? It's for what she believes. It's for what she believes about God. She fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what's going to determine which path someone will follow. And that's this last diagram that's going to go up you'll see that the fear of the Lord is at the center. And there's two ways to live. If you embrace the fear of the Lord, he will help you on the path of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it will continue on the path of wisdom. But if you don't have this one main thing, the fear of the Lord, you will be on the path of folly, and that is the path that you will continue on until you submit yourself to God and to his ways. And so some people say, well, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, a short definition is it's reverence for God and submission to his ways. So you can't just say, oh, God is great, and I love singing all these songs, and then walk outside and live in opposition to his ways. And you can't just try to do a lot of stuff that are his ways, but never really acknowledge that it all comes from God. Your ability to do good, your heart to serve others and bless them and to know him. And so we can get it wrong on either extreme. We can become those people who talk a good game but who live an immoral lifestyle or lifestyle against God, seeking to stay under our own authority. Or we can just try to be a do-good person and do a lot of nice things but never really spend the time to understand what it means to have adoration and awe of God. And so the fear of the Lord is both. It's reverence for God and submission to his ways. If I had to describe it in scripture, I'd I'd point you to Isaiah chapter 6 in the first several verses. And you don't have to turn there. But it's this picture of this prophet coming into the throne room of God. And it's just filled with everything majestic. And God is on his throne and the train of his robe fills the temple. And Isaiah goes into this scene. And this is a real picture of awe and reverence. And he just falls down. Why? Because that's what it's like to be in the presence of God. It's awe and it's reverence. And it's acknowledging God's greatness and his holiness. And it's recognizing, and this is really important, that we are in submission to him. He's the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, And what he says goes. Our lives are to be submitted to him. We're under him. And so this is this reverence for God and submission to his ways. And quite honestly, this is a hard concept in our society to to grapple with. We don't really get awed by much anymore. We're so inundated with media and news reports and all kinds of stuff that we have that we're sort of numb to stuff that requires awe or reverence. And so some people get it when they go out to nature and they go to the Grand Canyon or to Mount Rainier and they stand there and they say, wow, now that's majestic. But 
day in and day out living, we don't really walk around going, wow, that was just, you know, really awesome. Because we say awesome all the time about everything. Awesome's just been watered down. But friends, there is one thing in life that should actually be reserved for awe. And that is when we are in the presence of God and we are looking upon him. We look upon God and we say, you are God and you are holy. You are majestic in all your ways. You are kind and gracious. You are steadfast in your love. You are immovable. You are a rock. And you have set your affections on me. Friends, that is when we become undone. That is when we bow in the presence of God. That's not just when we say, hey, I'm going to sing some nice songs about you. It says I'm actually going to live my life in accordance with your will, with how much I drink and who I hang out with and what I watch and what I speak and what I think about and what I meditate on and what's important to me and how I prioritize my life. All these things will be shaped by your understanding of the fear of the Lord and your relationship to God. That's the most important thing that these Proverbs teach us, and this is applicable to all of us. And so what does it look like? It means that we admit that the Lord alone is in total control of the universe that he made. It means that we acknowledge our dependence on him for life and for godliness, and that we just can't do this on our own. It's to put away arrogant defiance of God and disregard for his moral commands. It's choosing to renounce our autonomy, to say, I'm going to do life on my own. And instead, it's putting our trust in him. And the fear of the Lord affects all of life. But the first step is to surrender. And so when we think about the fear of the Lord, we think about, well, where do we see this concept? How do we understand this in light of the New Testament and Jesus? Well, sin is what has separated us from God. Our independence, our thinking that we can live the life of folly with no consequences, we're all subject to that. But there are consequences. Our rejection of God brings about God's wrath and his judgment. And it separates us from God. And in the Old Testament, with the people of God, to fear the Lord, Yahweh, and that's why it's got capital L, capital O, capital R-D, that's the name of God. That's how it was being referred to back then. To fear the Lord, to fear Yahweh, was required of the people of God. But then what happened when they ultimately didn't submit to him and didn't honor him and didn't revere him or obey him? Well, they were expelled from the land, right? You see, they couldn't do it on their own, and that's what God understands about each and every one of us. We will never be on this path of wisdom. We will never be right with God in an ongoing way unless God took the initiative to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. You see, God had to deal with all the foolishness and sin of our hearts in order for us to be welcomed into his family. As Kenneth was talking about in the Lord's Supper here today, there was reconciliation required. And God in his kindness set up a plan and devised a plan for that reconciliation to take place. And so in the New Testament, we realize that the fear of the Lord actually means submission to Christ. That we repent of our sins, going our own way. And we put our faith in him, not only as our savior, to get us into a right relationship with God and to get our debt paid for, but also as our Lord. It means we consciously say, I follow you. 
your ways are better than my ways. No matter what you call me to do, I'm with you. Friends, that's the radical call of Christianity. And if we've watered it down, then we're in grave danger of being deceived or even worse, being hypocrites, where we say one thing, but we actually do another. And that's not what God's called us to. When we surrender our lives to him and let his spirit begin to transform us, we will begin to experience the lives that God actually intends for us. We can be who he made us to be. And that's been the greatest joy for me coming to faith in Christ is that I actually feel like I can be who God made me to be. I don't have to be a clown. I don't have to be somebody who just tries to make everybody else happy. I can be happy in myself because Christ dwells within me. And because of that, I can say no to sin. And yes, I still stumble, I still fall, but I know where to turn to when I do because I realize that his correction and his discipline is for my good. And he's helping me to become like his son, Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who are Christ followers here this morning, those of you who fear the Lord, I just want to encourage you, when you stumble and fall and when you have your own failings, these are opportunities to humble ourselves. You see, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who is making all things new inside of us. He saved us when we were already messed up. He's now in the process of cleaning us up to become who he wants us to be. And so we submit to God and we turn from our sins knowing that we're already justified. We're already part of the family so we're not earning his good favor again because God will never change his mind about us. He changes us by his grace so that we can become like Christ, which is the goal of our salvation. And if you're here this morning and you don't fear the Lord, I want to encourage you to think about what I've talked about here today and not because I've said it, but because this is what the Bible teaches. This is God's revealed word to us about how he wants us to live in the world that he created. And the great thing is, is that he desires to have a bigger and bigger family. And so this message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and rose again on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of God, this good news that Jesus is the one that we can truly put our fear in and our awe and our reverence that he is the one who brings salvation and he is the one who will guarantee that you will be able to be reconciled to God and live with him forevermore. So friends, the wise person fears the Lord and lives God's way. So would you please stand? I'd like the worship team to come back in and, and actually as you stand, why don't we, uh, we're gonna sing this last song, All Creatures of Our God and King. If you'd like to, if you'd like to make your way to the front so that we can sing together, I thought... Uh, as we were planning for the meeting, just thinking about Mother's Day and this opportunity that, you know, we all have our biological families, but you know what? We're also a spiritual family here too. And so as we sing together, if you'd like to make your way up to the front, uh, we're going to sing this last song together. <laughs>